0: Hello, welcome to time to say goodbye. It is Wednesday, August twenty third. Um, I'm here just with Tammy today, and uh, we're gonna we have a long list of stuff to talk about today, Tammy. <laughs> it's gonna be like lightning round
1: podcast.
0: Mm-hmm. I hope you're ready.
1: <laughs> There's a lot of weird stuff going on in the world. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, a lot of stuff. How how are you doing?
1: I'm really good. I went to see our producer May just now whose other job is at a bakery it was Oh, delicious. what bakery it's called winner it's in park slope
0: oh cool where in park so, is yeah. it what sort it's of on stuff is it ab, like a and... croissants vibe or is it more of like a cake vibe
1: it's more of the croissants actual bread just savory bread vibe and it's really delicious and she's learning all this incredible stuff, like how to form baguettes, how to measure out and mix dough for different kinds of breads, how to adjust when it's 95 degrees in the kitchen. Oh, like, yeah. how do you proof yeah. bread? Um, so, yeah, it's fun. I'm, I'm Proving is
0: it. a great mystery. I use the technique. So where I, mysterious. I put it in the oven. And I turn the oven light on. But then right. sometimes it overproofs. Have you ever yeah. overproofed dough?
1: Well, I'm terrible at baking, so I've only done like very minimal bread stuff. Like you remember when it was like deep pandemic and you and Andy and I were talking about it and I just like have no talent for
0: it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. What, I, are you,
1: what are you making?
0: Well, I make a variety of things, but um, proofing, knowing how much proofing is, is like a big mystery to me. And I refuse <laughs> to buy a stand mixer. And so right. a lot of stuff is hard and I'm not like a patient neater. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't find it.
1: Yeah, it's not like, there. I don't enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, so
0: a lot of times I end up with these disasters, but nothing is more of a disaster than when you overproof dough. I mean, <laughs> it just turns into like sludge, and you have to toss it. You can't well, even I, like
1: it. exactly. And I hear it's ninety percent humidity, you know. And so, what yeah. do you do on those days? It's
0: like, yeah, 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 it's yeah. tough. Um, we uh, maybe I'll buy a stand mixer. Who knows? But so, yeah.
1: why are you now buying? Because you have actual space.
0: Yeah, I know, but it's just like it's like. Stand mixer is like an Eames chair to me where it's like this very specific class indicator from my That's 20s hilarious. that I just would rather not be on the other side of, even though, you Even know, though it doesn't yeah. have to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, even though I'm probably, yeah. I mean.
1: I feel like you if crossed over a lot of When I was like 26 years
0: old, I'm yeah. definitely richer than they were when I was 26.
1: I'm like, I feel like you've At attained least... other indicators of that status. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. But I get sure. it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah I took this. Uh, I just got back from this trip to Martha's Vineyard. I want to tell Jay. you about, first of all. Yeah. Why? Speaking of class indicators, yeah. <laughs> I went to, uh, I got invited to do this talk with all these people that I really sort of grew up reading, like Henry Louis Gates and um, Whoa. Ra- Randall okay. Kennedy. Uh, okay.
1: Randall Ma- Kennedy is like a big deal in my mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Melissa Murray, you know, her wow. at okay. uh, NYU and yeah. McWhorter. Of course. This is now the third panel I've done with McWhorter. This is
1: crazy. What is this group, this group? Oh, and Lawrence group? Tribe. Oh. So
0: it was it was this event for the Hutchins Center for African American Studies at Harvard, which okay. is, a, you know, Glenn Hutchins is a billionaire tech investor, and he's decided to spend a lot of his money uh, on Af- giving it to his alma mater of Harvard. Actually, it's strange. He's from Chapel Hill. Okay. Um, and they have an annual thing at the Whaling Museum in Edgartown in Martha's Vineyard. I've never been to Martha's Vineyard. and I, So part of the reason I went yeah, was because never- I wanted to go To Martha's Vineyard, it's interesting
1: so. anthropologically. Did you see Obama?
0: No, well, uh, part of the reason I went was because I was wondering if Obama, yeah, might show it sounds like
1: the kind day. of thing he would go. To. He wasn't there,
0: no, he wasn't it's there. It's like all apparently, his friends, yeah, barely. Uh, Kamala was there last week, and so, interesting. um, okay, uh, you know, it's interesting, it's very interesting because Martha's Vineyard during the summer, I think, especially around Edgartown, it turns into a uh almost like a networking summer event i think for large periods of time like one of the guys i flew with and these you had to take these tiny cessna prop planes back and forth which honestly actually it was kind of fun but um he was telling me like oh he he was like a vc tech investor right and he had come to uh give a couple talks and do panels and talk to people but it was you know it's interesting it's like a it's a as i think one of the one of the hosts put it, he's like, I, when we were walking out, he's like, get ready to meet the black bourgeoisie. I was going to say, this is like, <laughs>
1: like South by Southwest, but for like, <laughs>
0: right, right. It's, it's. I it's mean, I've actually, met. I found it very interesting because I, um Martha's Vineyard, there's like half, I have more than half the people that are walking around where I was staying are black, you know? And so I know that historically that's true, but I think that since Obama moved there, what I heard was that there's been, <laughs> an acceleration of this type of, you know, people having events and stuff like that right. there. And so... Uh,
1: so were you, what was your, what were you doing there? <laughs> You're oh, like yeah. the well, Asian representative for the black bourgeoisie. <laughs>
0: we had a panel on affirmative action and right. it was okay. quite okay. funny because, uh, oh, and Charlene hunter Galt was the oh, Char- um, moderator. Okay. who okay. Actually, We should
1: explain who she is for non Yeah, yeah, Charlene hunter
0: Galt was uh, one of the first students first black students to attend the university of georgia right um and so uh she desegregated the university of georgia uh she then went to work at the new yorker which she was telling me about um, during in 1963. first of all you have to understand god
1: bless her you have to understand how like
0: like, amazingly young and energetic this person is and then when she was like i was here in 1963 and I was like, what? <laughs> 1963? I, can't,
1: I mean, that is, wow. That's early. And so was, early, actually, in the history of the magazine. And-
0: right, right. I mean, it was William Shawn, and she was right. telling me this story about how she went to go work there in the typing pool, which, you know, that's wow. how long ago it is. It's, yeah. it, it sounded like this. It's almost like Mad Men or something like totally, that, where she told yeah. this story about how she was in the typing pool. And she had written a story about a riot that happened in 1963. And then, you know, Mr. Sean called her, right. Like this is one of the things that's like in the New Yorker. If you, Around it, it's like I found it actually quite annoying, but everybody says Mr. Sean, right? To she said refer- that
1: even in, yeah, 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 but I, she was wow. kind of doing ironically, right, you know? right, right. <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like I have nothing bad time, to say about her. So she funny. was cool as
0: shit yeah. I loved her, you know. Yeah. And she was just like, wow. she's a Mr., Sean, you know, like she's like, Mr. Sean called me on the phone and was like, we would like to print your piece. And sh- And then since then, she's written
1: that's pretty so consistently
0: for the New Yorker for however many years now. Sixty years now This fucking she, wasn't crazy she at to the think Times, about. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, but yeah, she's a long journalist career, like her career,
1: main but. thing, I think, like I, that's, that's how I think of her as like a color barrier breaking person, like at the New York Times, at all right. these different institutions, and um, right, yeah, just at, in that era to be a black journalist of that stature. Oh that my god!
0: Yeah, reason. I also am just like kind of That's that cool was, though. so she was, was a fun person years years too. Ago. She was cool. That's cool. But they had clearly set me up. Out of some misconception, where John McWhorter and I were supposed to be the two opponents of right.
1: you guys action. are the conservatives in the. <laughs>
0: I know. And-
1: so what <laughs> happened? Did you you didn't fulfill your role? Right?
0: It, was often, it was it was being silent cast on PBS. It's not a big deal. I'm sure not that many people watched it, but you know, you're in the whaling church. It's like 400 people watching you. Wow. It's like some of the, and I only realized that I was being set up in this way about like. Fifteen minutes into the no, event, no, you didn't. I, no, I really did. I didn't. But know. what else
1: would you be there for with that group, Jay?
0: I know. Well, I, look, that's what <laughs> that's what my our editor, at, uh, my editor at the New Yorker, Marilla, I told her about that, and she was like, "You didn't realize that," and I was like, "No, sincerely." That. <laughs> oh and my god. And then I was okay, like, "Wait, oh. so what happened?" <laughs> so I was like, immediately, I was like, "Oh no!"
1: I want to know everything. <laughs> oh no!
0: And so, um. And I didn't want to be misconceived. I didn't want there. I, I had a sincere uh, reason behind this, which is I didn't want to be misconceived as somebody who opposed affirmative action in general. In you know, but like I am a critic of how it was practiced, mostly because I am a critic of the way in which these elite institutions and universities do all of their business, right? And that um, I think I was able to make that point and it was fine. <laughs> but man, it was like, a heated thing and i had this realization that like these panels are entertainment and that some people are very good at being entertaining like at some point (laughs) randall kennedy and john mccord anyone it's on youtube you can watch it if you want but like uh you randall kennedy and john mccord are like yelling at each other and i was sitting in the middle of them (laughs) and i was trying to like make my face not make like a any type of expression because i didn't want to be but i was like I was like whoa these guys are really going at it and then I I I don't know I wish I had prepared more or something like that because uh I didn't I think I didn't realize what the whole point of it was you know and it was um oh my gosh it was like after we finished Lawrence tribe who was uh calling in via zoom because he couldn't come to the vineyard because there was so much COVID on the vineyard and um you know he has a health compromise or like there's a health reason why he didn't want to risk getting covid but not for him but you know remember his family mm-hmm. um but he ends up like giving this rebuttal at the end and he was like because i had said at some point you know we should envision a world in which schools like harvard don't exist right like we should like if we have a real commitment to equity and education then we should stop trying to color like do tiny little gains around the Edges at these elite institutions who refuse to do anything to actually meaningfully have more poor students come on their campuses, right? That uh, it is just a sort of little matching game for the elite. And he goes, well, Jay Caspian Kang might be saying, he basically said that like, this is the world that we live. He doesn't, but you know, as long as we live in this world where these institutions exist. And so he was basically saying that like I, that Things can't change, right? That mm-hmm. there can't be this type of change. And I found that to be a very distressing answer because, uh, and one that I wasn't quick enough to even respond to. I didn't really have time to respond to it, but like it was interesting to hear somebody who is at Harvard. I mean, all these people, yeah, well, Melissa well, I was Murray, gonna say, right, Randall yeah. Kennedy, Henry Louis Gates, Lawrence Tribe, these are three massively, massively influential people at Harvard, right? Like, I mean, they're famous Among people. Among the
1: most famous professors
0: period I would say period yeah like who like who like like and so yeah
1: I mean I wouldn't expect them to question the reproductive structure that has benefited them I know but then
0: and then also Lawrence Tribe said let's not forget the enormous generosity that Harvard gives to students who need uh need financial aid and for me I was like yeah that's so few so then were you
1: like okay every they should admit 50,000 people each year (laughs) I know I wish I had been able to say any of these
0: things but I didn't have time but I was you know I have been fuming a little bit about that because like, I thought always, I was telling my friend when I played tennis with him yesterday, I thought that the whole point of reaching these types of milestones in your career where you feel very comfortable and almost have like a tenured sense of things, even if you're not tenured... I include myself in this, right? Right. I thought the whole point was to it just punch the all around that you're you. In. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Cause then you look cool, first of all, because like, <laughs> fuck this. I don't even care about this shit, you know? But then also because you understand how corrupt these institutions yeah. are. And they can't fire you because of it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, you should at least tell the truth about them. Like, why do you need to protect them? They're not going to fire Lawrence tribe, you know? Right, right, right. And so my sense is they really believe it, right? Like, they really sort of believe it. But it was interesting. I mean, look, I I appreciated being there, and people are very nice to me. And uh, I don't have anything against any of the people there. The one observation that I came away from it, though, was that the – belief in these types of institutions is actually much stronger than I thought it would be amongst the people who work there. And I don't, I feel super naive saying that, mm-hmm. but I just always assume that people thought all these things were bullshit, even if mm-hmm. they were working there, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> but that's clearly not true. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> like to not be able to imagine a world in which like Harvard has to change anything, you know, like that's just sad to me. It's like, oh, well, you know, like they could, like you said, they could let in 50,000 more students, they could mm-hmm. afford that, you know, they could uh, do all sorts of things like they could even like let something as small as get rid of legacy admissions. One of the funniest oh questions from yeah, the, from come- the yeah, one of the funniest questions that came out of the crowd, which was, you know, I would say about 70 percent black, 30 percent white And um, I would say across the board, pretty wealthy was um, somebody asked, do you think it's fair that they're going to get rid of legacy admissions just at a time when black people can benefit? I've heard that
1: actually I've heard that from too, yeah. Yeah.
0: There's like a little mild applause, but also, you know, some pushback on that type Uh of idea. But um, yeah, you know, it's... uh, Well, what's
1: your answer?
0: I don't care about legacy (laughs) admissions. And I think that it was a mistake for the left to get obsessive about it because I actually think it's going to lead to worse results, you know, Why? because most of the kids who get in through legacy admissions are go- are actually Ivy League qualified, even if like there's some study by Peter Arciadokino saying that they they wouldn't, you know. And so what's going to happen? Like, oh, well, they're going to go to Brown instead of Harvard or something like that. But by getting rid of it, all these schools are going to get all this credit for having a more egalitarian Vision when it's right? really not, but it's not it's the same thing as you know, going from seven percent black to nine percent black, and they throw a big party for themselves. And you're like, there are ways that so you So, is could- your
1: answer to people of color who have just started benefiting from legacy admissions like, okay, you can have that one.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, then, then you can be on the on the side of of the race progressivists. (laughs) You know.
0: Exactly. Exactly. No, I was just like I was like, yeah, that does seem kind of (laughs) unfair.
1: Oh my god!
0: No, I'm this serious. They're just so like <laughs> we had hundreds of years of just white people getting legacy admissions, and then finally they diversified the schools, and now they're like, "Hey, no, actually, your kids can't get in here. They it's have to." It's so qualify.
1: Like, comically absurd, but I do under- <laughs> like You know what I mean? But I yeah. do get it. I do yeah, get
0: it. and uh, honestly, I feel this way about it, which is that while my politics do not match up with the majority of people in that room, I will say that I started like the their age, their general age. I think made me understand their perspective a lot more, which was just that like uh, these people are in a lot of, most of these people are in their 60s, 70s. Right. And like, it's, it's just different, you know? Um, And uh, there is much more of a sense of uh, people who understand, like Charlene Hunter-Gall, who understands a type of, you know, Need for a protection of what was earned. Right. And I do think there is something kind of annoying about young leftists sometimes. I include myself in that, not in the young part, but like, you know, <laughs> sort of seeing like, well, all that stupid neoliberal whatever, you know, and there's like, I don't know. We worked pretty hard to just get this, you know, like this is the only thing that we could get. And now you're saying like throw it all away for, you know, like something else. I understood the perspective, but I was, um, and so I wasn't mad about that. I was mostly mad about like Lawrence Tribe calling me naive, basically, and saying like, Harvard <laughs> was his virtuous institution. Well, but like, he nobody is. Nobody basically believes
1: that. Well, but he's rehearsing a version of the argument that you just articulated, right? That it's inevitable that there will be an elite class in society. It's inevitable that there will be elite reproduction. And so it's not just Harvard that's participating in, in, in it. And we can't really get rid of that fundamental distinction in society. So, I mean... I guess, what would you say to that? Like, I, I agree with you. Like in, we should, I mean, of course the answer actually like morally is like blow all this shit up.
0: On the right. other hand,
1: like it is probably true that even if we blew up the existing structures of elite reproduction, there would be new ones to replace it. Cause there's going to be some right. power stratification right. in society. So right. I guess, what do you do with that?
0: Well, I think like, it's just, for me, the question is just about how do we make educational institutions? Right. And, what is the goal of those educational institutions and i still think that my idea not my idea but i still think that the idea that i've been expressing that is you know supported by some people but not too many is that uh the majority of people end up going to a community college and then transfer into a university when they after that right where they can continue their studies if they want um makes a whole lot of sense you know like uh A, it cuts down the cost of everything. B, and this is also important to me just as a parent. It's just like, I don't want kids to feel like their lives are over if they don't do well one year in high school. It's so stupid that we put all this emphasis on how kids do academically between the ages of 14 and 18. And that's so determinative of a lot of things, you know, and uh, it allows for people to figure out what they want to do so they don't go to college and just fuck around, right? And um, right. And then it also allows for people to have different types of paths through higher education that can start later in life, you know. And that um, that does not seem so far fetched to me, and it doesn't seem like it's impossible. And a lot of students in America, I would say, actually like more than many, many more than go to elite universities, actually do that path, sure. right? But yeah. that we do not get the support in terms of federal funding or anything like that for that type of path, right? That then what we give to uh, places that reproduce the elite. And that yeah. the problem is that these places have too much power right now and that needs to really be broken down. And it can be, you know? Um,
1: did you guys in this discussion or in the, the con convening, like generally also talk about student debt? Cause I think one of my, yeah, Melissa
0: Murray did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah Cause I, yeah. I, I felt like it's been very strange to, to look at how segmented the affirmative action conversation has been from the student debt conversation, um, as though they don't at all intersect, especially with regards to public institutions. Um, Agreed. agreed. Very weird to me. So what did, what did she say about about
0: that? Uh, I think she She, just made the argument that you just made, that they're all connected and that the court is clearly like, you know, putting a hammer down on a type of uh, access to education. Yeah. But, I don't know. It was a very strange trip. That my so there was a thing. huge storm in Boston on the way back and so I had to take one of those tiny Cessna planes again back to Boston. Sure. Oh. And we like circled around Boston for an hour in this tiny plane and then they're like they're not letting us in and then we had to fly down to New Bedford <laughs> and I had to take an Uber back up to oh my gosh. Logan. And my luckily my flight back home was three and a half hours delayed so i made it
1: oh my god <laughs> yeah.
0: it was a horrific travel this is your day.
1: initiation into the elite <laughs> of the elite
0: anyway i want to thank the uh a institute for inviting me to this thing i hope that nothing that i said about it was uh, offensive in any way i'm just <laughs> <laughs> i actually do appreciate that i was uh invited and yeah i've never been to virgin vineyard i will say as a uh I'm kind of a West Coast beauty supremacist. Do you know what I mean? Uh, And like, I'm sorry. I like got to Martha's Vineyard, and I rented a bike and I biked all around and I went down to the beach. I mean, like, what is the big deal? You know? Oh my god! It was like it was like biking through a little like residential neighborhood for an hour. Like nothing changed. It was all like short trees and like big houses, you know, and then I got down to the beach and I was like, this is a pretty mid beach, you know, as the kids (laughs) might say. And then I went for a swim in the water, which was nice, you know, because it was the summer, but it was, I don't get it. I don't get it. That is so funny. Like there are beaches in San Francisco, the city that are prettier than that, you know, much less like Marin County, Santa Cruz, whatever. Like, you know, like it's like, I didn't get it.
1: I totally, Um, I was going to say, I think your parents probably live on an island that is thousand times more beautiful anyway, yeah yeah for um, sure
0: for sure and the houses there don't cost 44 million dollars oh you know
1: <laughs> i will take it yeah I, yeah
0: they're the not cheap right but they're not 44 million dollars yeah, you know so crazy anyway uh well, welcome that is back my, yeah to thank life you. with
1: us please
0: I know, I know. I'd never (laughs) felt more fancy in my life. I've Um, only been
1: in one of those tiny planes once because my friends got married on a really obscure and not rich island once. Um, It made me so sick.
0: Oh, really? I can't handle
1: that kind of wobbly plane. It's horrible.
0: I didn't know that that's what we were taking. And so then I walked out on the tarmac. I was like, oh, no. (laughs) No. But then, yeah. when you, once you're up in the air, it's really you were fun. Okay? Oh, I don't yeah, know. it was. My stomach couldn't take I it. had a good time. I, it's fun. You can. It feels like you're flying. For sure. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it really feels like you're up in the air. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I actually really liked it. And then I. Um,
1: so scary. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't really
0: that. Scared. So is, that's
1: how everyone gets to Martha's Vineyard. You can't no, they take, take a it ferry.
0: You can. Take oh a ferry. Right, right. And then right. there are some normal. But they're, if you
1: are gonna fly, you have to take a special plane.
0: Oh no, no, they are normal planes that go to oh, New oh, York City okay. and everything like that. Oh, yeah. I see.
1: Yeah. You just had a special
0: situation. Well, from Boston, you <laughs> mostly take the little the gotcha. little planes because it's only like twenty minutes, you know. So, um, I don't know. It was pretty cool. Uh, I am glad I went. All That's right, fun. all right. First topic.
1: Okay. This.
0: Yes, my friend Andrew <laughs> K, who at the you know who many of you might know is a. Sp- Former sports the reporter sports of the right New York right? Times okay. and now is at the Metro Desk because they annihilated the sports desk. He texted me and he was like, have you seen the show Love After Divorce season four? And I was like, no. And then he was like, you should watch it and talk about it on the podcast. It's like, OK, I'll do that. I'll make Tammy watch <laughs> you it. You roped
1: me into this hell. <laughs> um, OK, no, so do no, you okay. want to explain what this is? I, no. OK, OK. You funny, da- but... all
0: right? We can both do it. OK, right. I have feelings. Yeah. Um, OK.
1: Okay. So this is a reality show, which is a genre, this kind of thing. I do not watch like the love match real, uh, what am I thinking? Real world, like I'll live in a house type thing. But it's very interesting that you made me watch this because I had just watched Divorce shin <laughs> There's so many K dramas, not the scripted dramas about divorce right now. Yeah. And it's been yeah. proliferating. I checked in with our resident. K drama expert jenny wang medina and she has been actually cataloging the number of divorce plot oriented shows and she is there a noticed, reason
0: is there like i a think clip?
1: it just has to do with the demographic? i mean so it's beginning in the early 2000s there was a lot of discussion around the rising divorce rates in korea and single parenthood so she has been cataloging how many shows there are about single moms and single dads and then about divorcees and okay. it's like a huge like a big spike since over those past 20 years but there's also, like, four or five or maybe six, like, reality shows about divorcees. So this one, I think, is the maybe the first one that's, like, hitting the American audience, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Because yeah. this
1: season takes place with Korean Americans and, like, Korean one point five who live in the U.S., in, and they're in a house in Cancun, right?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the so most that's, interesting part about it. That's why <laughs> Andrew so said that we yeah. should talk about it, which it's I actually really agreed bizarre. with, because... First of all, yeah, I find the whole divorce thing in Korea kind of interesting just because yeah. it seems like uh and th- just to say for people who are gonna watch this, this is like not a Netflix squid games type of show, even though it's on Netflix. It's like very Korean in that like they'll put little prompts.
1: it's a Korean writing,
0: show. yeah, yeah, it'll be yeah. like like the they'll ding! like,
1: like yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah, or yeah. like they'll like you know, and like one of the girls sits next to the boy like mm-hmm. totally randomly like she sits next to him gently you know and it'll write it oh
1: yeah because we should them. say there's like a host host panel of five yeah, like, people okay, who do the commentary yeah, it's, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so it's, bad
0: oh, yeah it's oh yeah Tara's house
1: I guess is basically Tara's
0: house is the yeah. one place where the panel commentary was like incredible and elevated oh, yeah. and very funny but this one is not this like the people like, are not funny and like very they have, like,
1: l- low production value
0: <laughs> right right they have that guy like they have like the they have oh this gosh. dude they have that all guy these dudes. is the worst which one
1: austin kang that's what oh yeah
0: yeah that guy okay. is like a nothing it's, so like, it's just
1: bad like- <laughs> he is it, what you would say in the world of k production a pijur. like his only oh, yeah, his pijur. only added value is that he looks nice but his korean is horrible so he oh, can't God. even understand or really communicate with the other four hosts anyway
0: yeah. Well, that's what I wanted to talk about um, about this, which is that I found myself finally, after all these years of 43 years of being on Earth, <laughs> I finally saw myself on screen, you know, <laughs> as not a divorcee, oh, no. but as a Korean American who has speaking skills are not very good because <laughs> it's kind of incredible it's so fascinating oh anthropologically God. like they have this guy ricky on the show
1: oh wow
0: his korean is almost non-existent right like he i think he is like very much a type of person who can who can understand everything that's happening and can understand the conversations um, yeah but not yeah there are times where he was just like uh what? he was like you Wasn't know? <laughs> my like, basically, like, what's going on? Oh my
1: God. Yeah, like, so he's the most like KA the, of, yeah, yeah. of like the, the contestants, the, we should people
0: say. People yeah. were like saying their names and you're just like, oh, spelling, i take You know, like, and you're just like, he's basically just a lot of English on this show. Right, right. That's why I liked it.
1: Yeah. Because it was like, it was
0: super interesting. There's also a former like K pop guy who grew up in the US, Jerome. Right. He's
1: fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so wait, we should set this up a little okay, first bit. So there's of all, I feel five like girls this and f- right. Okay, I'm kind of into it now, yeah. like beside myself. Um okay, so Jay forced me to watch this, but I may or may not be slightly into it now. <laughs> so there's like five girls and five guys, very obviously like hetero. They're all like cute in their own particular way. They're also all pretty rich, right? Like they all have horrific jobs, except for one lawyer girl who seems like marginally decent. Yeah. yeah. Um anyway, They're but all, the- like
0: I like None in CEO, yo.
1: Yeah. It's <laughs> fun to see you. Know. You know, it's like, okay, we got you. Um, But, okay, so I guess is is us talking about Jerome a little bit of a spoiler? Yeah, yeah I don't let's talk think about so, Jerome. It? Yeah, yeah. Huh? It's not a spoiler. No, it's right? not a spoiler. It's, it's like not, comes it ha- out really it's early. Out in the first 10 yeah, minutes of it the show. Yeah. Okay, so one of the contestants is named Jerome. And in the late 90s, early 2000s, he was part of a boy band called X Large. Right. Which I didn't listen to. Were you familiar with it? No. Okay. Um, so my, what I'm fascinated by in this show is, so he's actually pretty bilingual and stuff like there's all that, but he has like out of the finance bros, the least lucrative job. And I think that is making him less desirable in the show.
0: Oh, really? How many episodes did you get into?
1: Well, I watched the first one fully and like really took it in. And then I like sped through and watched bits of the other episodes.
0: Okay. okay. How far
1: are you? Are you totally caught up?
0: No, 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 no. I'm, I'm like. Behind you, but so you think he's? <laughs> well, I'm like, okay, I so thought we,
1: everyone would be into him because he's kind of like hunky and he's more casual. Like he doesn't wear weird, you know, he doesn't yeah. wear like tight button up shirts. He's and cool. he's like, he's cool. He's yeah. like cool, but the girls clearly aren't into him, and I think it's because he th- they think he's poor.
0: Yeah, that might be true. That might be true. That guy Tom looks super rich. Oh you my know? gosh! Yeah, yeah, John and Tomio.
1: I know. <laughs> And Tom Listen, just I'm looks not like making a banker, fun of. Bro. I am not it's making so fun bad. of
0: these people's Korean because their Korean is better than my <laughs> Korean. I'll just be honest. But the mix but
1: is funny. It
0: is really funny to watch be- that pe- Korean people speak bad Korean. You know, mm-hmm. um, like that. The woman who was born in Ecuador, whose name is Benita Kim, which oh I Paraguay, you, oh Paraguay, yeah, she's <laughs> fascinating
1: too because she yeah. is a straight sweatshop owner. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah because when when she said her family was from paraguay i was like i bet they own a garment factory and sure enough
0: yeah yeah yeah. the stereotypes
1: (laughs) are all in place like the show
0: is yeah listen once you get to for the uh non-koreans in the audience there's a level of korean um, diaspora understanding you can get to where if somebody <laughs> says they're from a specific country that's not america you can make a lot of assumptions about that <laughs> <laughs> you know, mexico is another one oh where you might gosh. raise an eyebrow like how mm-hmm. oh, really uh <laughs> mexico right is a exactly <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh oh my man, gosh. this is
0: by far the most Korean we spoke on the show. But it, I think I feel liber- i feel liberated. Because, I love that you, you know. feel
1: seen in the bodies of these like terrible hedge fund bros. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it's, like, look, their oh, their God. Korean is like—it's super interesting. Like, they're not bad at it, but they, you know, some of them struggle. Mm-hmm. And that Ricky guy, absolutely. Is like, I mean, he is like me and my cousins, you know, where it's mm-hmm. just like, he try has to... like
1: low level household Korean.
0: Right, right, right. But that's interesting too, because, yeah. you know, he, uh, it doesn't seem like he was, grew up in, you know, completely detached from like Korean America, but this is just what happens, yeah. you know? It just happens. Like, I'm sorry, like my cousins who grew I mean, up who in cares? Koreatown, LA,
1: yeah, right. They're
0: Koreans worse than mine, you know? They speak it's just,
1: like, like, Korean-accented English, but they don't yeah, speak Yeah, exactly.
0: exactly. <laughs> Listen, if you don't know the Koreatown, uh, you know, like, I don't mean the to accent. be gendered here, but, like, Koreatown girl accent, you know, like, it's a very specific thing <laughs> it's great oh it's God. great i think i've talked about it on the show before because so my funny. cousin texted me because she listened to the show and she's like i do not speak in the, C- <laughs> the girl I said, yes you do
1: we should have her on the show she's oh my God. gonna listen to yeah, us and be like you I talked know, about she, me again you no
0: know, no she and i had a oh feud gosh. and it's over now so uh oh, i think damn. she could All come right. over now but uh come okay, on the show now but yeah it was a. Uh, it i found it really interesting what else did you find interesting about? well
1: i was gonna ask you what you thought about their portrayal of divorced life because the really ju- the thing that I found interesting was like the range of the years they've been divorced was very oh, yeah. like one person's been divorced for three months, which is interesting, and I think Jerome has been divorced for like seven or ten years. Yeah, quite a yeah. long time.
0: Yeah. Oh no,
1: and that other guy was has been divorced for like fifteen years.
0: Twelve years. Yeah, 12, 15 yeah, years. Anyway, yeah. so
1: um, yeah, just I guess like I'm like two things. Like one, were you surprised at the casualness that they treat divorce? Like with, with which they treat divorce, and two, like in your own experience talking to older Korean people, how do they talk about divorce? Yeah, like what, is, what is divorce in Korean society now for
0: you? Well, I mean, when we were growing up, I imagine it was the same for you, it was totally verboten. And like, uh, the very few families that we knew Korean who I don't even maybe there was two kids whose parents were divorced that I knew growing up, two Korean kids that I knew, everybody else, mm-hmm. like, I mean, and some totally. of these, let me tell you, were. N- miserable yes. marriages like abusive
1: divorce domestic violence yeah awful everything. the
0: worst yeah. you can think of but you know totally. my mom and dad said you know always are like korean people don't get divorced you know <laughs> and I was like, okay and now it's clearly very different right and i mm-hmm. have to also just say that this was like the 1980s and 1990s and uh my parents had not been in korea in 10 years and maybe korea mm-hmm. had changed but like for the diaspora who came over in the 70s and 80s, like that's the old world vision they're bringing over, right? And so I was really surprised. It was an incredibly positive portrayal of divorce.
1: I know. (laughs) They're all doing well. Like all of them were like, I'm flourishing now.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
1: I thought it was cool. I also felt like, I mean, they don't tell the ages of all the people, but obviously some of them are our age.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's why they had to drop the honorifics. I know. know, Oh, yeah. So we should say like in the first
1: episode, they have this like convening and they're like, should we all drop the honorifics? What <laughs> 반말할까요? You know, and, so, and then they all agree. I thought that was funny. But I was thinking, because now in my age group, we've probably said this on the show before, but my friends are getting divorced yeah. in the U.S. of different races and backgrounds. But including, like, immigrant kids who, in their families, it was, like, definitely a thing not to do.
0: Right, right. Yeah. So maybe Korea's ahead of it in a little bit, because I haven't <laughs> seen a really up with divorce portrayal in America like that, you know? (laughs) Every single story was the same, yeah. Yeah. And none of them were like so sad stories, you know? But it was always like, all the stories are like, when we were young, we got married and then I realized we didn't have anything. And, you know, it's sort of like that. And then now I'm free and I'm doing great. Mm -hmm. You know, I've acquired six small companies or, you know? (laughs) My workers are, have upped their productivity oh by 40%. <laughs> and we are so sh- un- We're underselling many of the suppliers for Zara. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my God. I was so upset about that. So in episode four, they introduce their professions, and they have a shot of Benita in a sweatshop. You have to watch
0: it. <laughs> and she's literally
1: giving instructions in Spanish to a worker, and I'm like, this bitch has never sewn anything. Like, why This
0: is so offensive, That's like, You know, they did a the setup like, yeah, she they had. do the
1: whole b roll thing where she's in the factory, you're like, get out of the factory, you don't know how to operate a machine, you know. Oh, setup. yeah,
0: she said her first language was uh Spanish, Spanish. yeah, 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 yeah. Which no, it sense. is, it is really oh, interesting. interesting, yeah, yeah the wealth is... of
1: the Korean diaspora, you
0: know, right? And also, the um, I don't know, it was uh, I found it also interesting because um. Like they have these the hosts were really nice to them in a way that was interesting, you know? Like when Ricky was like, uh Chanan Ricky or uh uh, <laughs> uh Hey and, then, and you know, like and they were uh-huh. like, Oh <laughs> like they are saying he was like so cute, they're you like, know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's so oh, nice I was like, that <laughs> I was like that is not my experience when Uh-oh. I like try try and speak Korean. When and you somebody. bring out
1: your bro Korean at church <laughs> yes, and they're so- like, Jay <laughs>
0: Somebody, like, so embarrassing! Me, it's like, what's wrong with you? Your parents have failed, you know. <laughs> it's not that, but I actually found I that know. to be interesting too. Yeah, I couldn't actually, tell if right. it's like a thing where that's it's so like maybe people are get, becoming more tolerant of kill but I don't think that's probably true. I think they were just doing that so for the show,
1: right? It's like, very affirming, right? It's right? A very right, affirming environment. Right. Yeah, it was. <laughs>
0: it was. I kind of liked it too. I got to say, Andrew, thank you for. Uh, yeah, thanks, I, Andrew. 10 minutes in I was like I, I was actually Mad at him because I was like I can't watch this It's shit.
1: actually like really poorly made Yeah
0: you that's why You have to get over like, that part yeah, right
1: yeah,
0: yeah yeah, yeah. where it's like I like they have all These interruptions from the stupid panel And then they have like mm-hmm. uh Like they the first Hour of the show The tension was oh like another person is coming in the room and i'm just like who cares it went
1: on for so it long it went on
0: forever it's just like just introduce <sighs> them you know you that don't have to exhausting. have a scene where they're standing around say talking about nothing you know there's one scene where they're like basically being like uh how many champagne glasses are there on that table you know and i was like you guys I should have cut this <laughs> <laughs> just introduce the next person <laughs> I, <laughs> and then they made it like the big reveal being like um, I do, I do think that they learned something, and uh, that is always true in reality TV. I don't want to be a jerk about this, but you know, this was the lesson of Terrace House. At least for many times, is like there's always like one woman in these shows mm-hmm. who is much more attractive than the other women, and also is like more like kind of like sexy worldly. Like yeah. You know what I'm talking about on the show, though? And she right? came like in the, at the end. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Just the the woman who like was like. Oh, my husband gave me a Porsche 911 Turbo oh and an M6. I know, but I just didn't understand. She was like, "I thought we were glamorous, but maybe we weren't." And I was like, "That is the least sympathetic divorce story I've ever heard in my entire life." But she she's like she so like makes awful. fun of the other girls' clothes immediately, right? She's, she's like, terrible. "Oh, why are you wearing that?" Yeah, she's gonna be by far the most entertaining person on the show, though. Yeah, um, as much like Senna for. Terrace Househeads. Well, no, yeah, when Santa came oh into the um, to the mountain season of uh, of Terrace oh, House. So you
1: watched all of that? I really haven't seen that, but I know Terrace House. Love it. Yeah. Oh
0: my god. Yeah. Look. First of it. all, much you know this show that ended in tragedy yeah, and, and horrible reasons. That. But when it was on, oh my god, I love that show. It's wow. so good. Wow. It's so good. My friend Mina and I just you know when it was on, we just text about it almost endlessly just like <laughs> so do you, do
1: you feel like with like and maybe it's because of the language difference but do you when you're watching a Japanese or Korean reality show like this do you have this feeling of oh this feels more genuine and not scripted than an American show
0: <laughs> no because
1: <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> I feel it's like sometimes game. when you watch it in your second language you're like oh this one is uh, real this one is, real. It. This more, one is more real
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you yeah. do okay i mean yeah. yeah
1: but like obviously the correct intention in my brain is like that's ridiculous No, maybe we don't know the fake tricks as, as hell, well you know yeah,
0: yeah anyway. it could be we don't know the tricks yeah. in american reality i know like when things are fake pretty quickly right yeah but maybe in korean ones i don't but i think that this one the way it's produced is so ridiculous like when they go grocery shopping. oh my gosh like, what is going on like come on, you know? It's like, so it's, bad. It's so bad. And they
1: it's also has the it has like an old school Korean variety show chasteness where like what you were talking about with like oh she sat next to him you know yeah and they'll like zoom in on like her arm like brushing his shirt and it's like oh my (laughs) god and they all share and they all have roommates i'm like no one's gonna get it on Uh, no one's uh, even gonna kiss uh, in this show you know it's it's Uh, weird i
0: know well it's gonna that was also true in tara's house where okay you know if they like kiss it was like this huge deal um which uh it's also true in Korean drama, right? Like, it's like all... No,
1: not anymore. A lot oh, of them really? are really sexual now.
0: It's like 12 hours and then finally they kiss.
1: I know. The, well, there are then... still some like that, but some of them are like, they'll be like, oh, she like has a one night stand like every night. Oh. It's it's definitely grown up.
0: Okay, I should watch those ones. The chase, <laughs> the, the ness oh. is like... This one was funny though. Um, the captions cracked me up and then the English interpretations uh, or the yeah, translations definitely. of the captions were even funnier because uh, I'll be honest some of them I needed because you know like I can't read Korean that fast <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. Either can Ricky. Yeah, we should have Ricky on the show oh, so he and, and we could he and I can try and do an entire podcast in Korean. It, it would it just it would, <laughs> it would, it would, uh, it would derail yeah. almost immediately like, "Oh my god. Uh, we would just have to talk about food." <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh,
0: oh man. Then, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I, All right, anyway, maybe I'll thank watch you more. for Love After. I'm definitely watching. Thank more. you, Andrew. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Let's move on to the next one. All
1: right.
0: Um, Did you read this story about uh, what happened with Michael Ower? Oh, my
1: gosh. Heartbreaking. Also confusing.
0: Very confusing. And I I think that's where we should launch into it. So just quickly. So many
1: conflicting accounts. Yeah. Give a summary. Uh,
0: The book, The Blind Side, came out many years ago. It was about sort of the left tackle position. Michael Lewis wrote it. And, um, you know, part of it is sort of an idea of how did the position of the left tackle be created that part is fascinating to me but you know the big story around it is about this guy michael oer who i think everyone believed at the time was like a special needs kid and who was taken in by this family uh called the Tuies. right the Tuies were owned many many taco bells they were wealthy from taco bell franchises and (laughs) that they were huge ole miss boosters right and so they wanted michael oer to play at Ole Miss and they sort of were affected by his story and so they legally adopted him and then the movie came out with Sandra Bullock and um, and um where you know this guy really is sort of portrayed as like this you know simpleton with a heart of gold almost like of mice and men type of thing when you think about it in, in retrospect right so and nice. so Michael Orr did go to the NFL he had a career and Uh, now he is suing everybody, basically saying that, um, they had never, this part's not disputed. I don't think he says, uh, I was never adopted. Like the movie says, right. Actually what happened was that I entered a conservatorship. I was tricked into this conservatorship, but basically the only reason the conservatorship existed was to try and steer me to go to Ole Miss to play football. Right. Um, he also said that uh he is not special needs or whatever, right, but that he sort of allowed that narrative to happen because mm-hmm. it made he thought that it would be better for the movie or whatever he didn't feel powered have enough power to change that type of narrative, which I actually believe, you know, and um he said that the family made all this money off the movie and they cut him out of it, right? like he mm-hmm. received nothing, and that the most shocking. I don't know the thing that made me the angriest reading this lawsuit.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now that look, we should say that I don't. None of this has been proven out or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But you're just
1: weird reading this complaint. Right, the complaint. The
0: oh, complaint says oh, that the kids in the family both got two hundred fifty thousand oh dollars and then millions more after the movie came out. Um, and that's where you're just like, all right, you know, like you can't steal somebody's story, cut them out and then profit. I mean, these two have not just profited from already being wealthy. Like this is a huge deal. Like Sajjah Bullock won a Oscar for this, you know, like so these two, I didn't
1: see a movie. Have you seen it? Yeah, I've
0: seen it. Yeah. These two enrich themselves wildly because of the reputation that they are these humanitarians. And now the person at the center of it, the person they supposedly help is suing them, you know? Um, I don't know. What'd you so think have, about this? I have show? a bunch of questions
1: yeah. about this. So, So they became aware of him when he was in high school as a player? Right, yeah. Okay, because he was very good and just, like, in the news?
0: Well, that's one of the things. It's like he – I think the movie basically says, like, oh, well, you know, he didn't really even know how to play football. It's not really true. What? Like, he was already a highly recruited athlete, um, Mm -hmm. and uh, that they sort of brought him on, and because he was a prototypical body and foot speed and athletic profile to play left tackle that um, teams wanted him because they had basically reduced this position down to like a meat market. And if you fit the, I see. if you fit the um, physical requirements, the it didn't matter who you were, Right. But that those physical dimensions are rare. Like you have to be huge and you have to basically have like ballet dancer feet. Like it's rare. Okay. Right. But he fit that.
1: And so they, so their story is they, they saw the talent, they brought him into their household, they trained him up, they sent him to school, and they, are they, are they contesting the fact that they cut him out of the movie?
0: Yes, yes, they're contesting everything, basically. And
1: so... What I think what's interesting is so with the conservatorship that's like what Britney Spears was right, under, right? right? This is like when you're saying that somebody doesn't isn't capable of making their own decisions right. and around I, the finances. You have
0: the power of attorney for everything you, you do.
1: Okay, right. so you have, but but without being their parent in this case, right, right? Um, so did they were they able to sell his name in the movie because they licensed their own names for this movie? Right.
0: right. I don't know. Um,
1: it's so bizarre. Yeah. And also, the movie was like so long ago.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I will just say that there are some questions that arose almost immediately for me that I don't know what the answers are to, right? Mm-hmm. I think that uh, the idea that two members of the family, regardless of who they were, even if they were the people who are portrayed on screen, mm-hmm. would receive a $250,000 and then a millions of dollars is very, very, like, I don't. Think that happens you know like i i, I just in movie licensing right like i don't yeah. if if it did then it would be extremely uncommon right okay. um mm-hmm. michael lewis said he made four hundred fifty thousand dollars from the option for the book and that he made some amount i think similar to that down the line that actually sounds right on what even someone as famous as him would make from something like this, right? Um, these option deals, I think people look at them and they think, oh, well, you know, this person... Like, I remember having a conversation with somebody and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe Gone Girl got turned into a movie. Uh, Gillian Flynn must be so rich. And I was like, she sold 8 million copies of her book.
1: <laughs> that's what she's rich <laughs> <Yeah>. from. <laughs> Five
0: bucks a pop, that's $40 million. You know, her. she probably made a million bucks on that <laughs> Movie, you know? <laughs> um and so um I had a question there, but at the same time, it's like interesting because I don't know like you know legally more than I do like they're not gonna they're not gonna like in the complaint like a, this is like a pretty reputable yeah. law firm like are they really gonna just make stuff up in there like um like are they gonna just say, oh yeah, like all these things are just stuff that Michael said, and we have no way of proving it because if any of this stuff gets disproven, it looks terrible, you know, like terrible. And it's like, uh, it doesn't just look bad for him. I mean, it looks awful for Mm -hmm. Michael Orr, but it would be terrible for the law firm, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I I don't know, like that makes me pause and maybe think, well, maybe some of these numbers are close to true.
1: Yeah. I mean, there must be some sort of documentary evidence for it. Otherwise it'd be weird to put very specific numbers in the lawsuit. You would just put ballpark figures if not, you know, um, it's, it's a really, obviously the racial dynamics here, the sort of plantation aspect of it is oh God, just yeah. disgusting. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the whole thing around like whether or not he has a developmental disability is oh also really fascinating yeah. and sick. I don't, Michael Lewis has come to the defense as I understand it of the couple entirely.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. He said, uh, I was there and I saw what I saw was like a loving situation. Yeah. And, um, I don't know, like, Like I think Michael Lewis is a great writer and but I don't I also wonder how much you know as a journalist in these period in these situations. And he's
1: friends with these guys.
0: Well he and Sean Tui, the husband, husband, went to high school together. They both went to Isidore Newman, which is like the fancy private high school in New Orleans, right? Um yeah. And so I don't know. It was it's it's an interesting story in that like man, if it if this ends up proving out, and I do want to say that i it's not that i don't believe it it's that like these are huge allegations and you know they should be proven out but i understand why people responded so angrily because it is the if it is true it is like Mm -hmm. every racial right racist idea being played out at once you know like
1: Well, are there other ones that like as a sports person, did it resonate with other types of stories like this for you? Is there anything comparable to this sort of situation?
0: Um, Yeah. I mean, there's fake stories about black athletes throughout the history of sports writing, you know, Um, people being this idea that, oh, he's a child in the brain. is like how a lot of white sports writers thought all black athletes were, you know, Mm -hmm. some of them still do you know? um, And, uh, but Jeez. for sure in the 1950s, 1960s, you read accounts of black athletes and mm-hmm. it is just like the racism in it is, you know, it's like stomach turning and uh, you, it's good for people to read that stuff because it mm-hmm. reminds you of, you know, it wasn't that long ago. Right. It's like when Charlene Hunter Galt was in the typing pool at the New Yorker, you know, as this nonsense is being written. And so, I think it just lines up with a lot of those questions. The idea that you would, the idea of theft. Yeah, man. You know, like that one is, Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that um, if there's any truth to it, I agree with you. What I find fascinating about this is that like, it's not going to be hard to prove. They're going to have a discovery period and like the receipts are going to come out and we'll see.
1: There's papers, right? right. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Right. This is not something where we'll like have some, Interminable thing where we're like, we don't know what happened, like, we'll know what yeah. happened, you know? But, yeah, um, I don't know. I, I just like, I've been following it like a train wreck because, um, I don't know. I just like it's
1: right. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's like a terrible novel come to life, basically,
0: right? And I will say, when the movie came out, a lot of you know, black critics pointed out that this felt like this, you know? Uh
1: huh. Yeah, I was, I was wondering um, that, yeah.
0: and. Man, if it's true, then it is, it is bad.
1: <laughs>
0: like it's 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 just rage-inducing, and I don't I don't know. Mm-hmm. I like I I I don't know. I feel the Tui family's uh, response is basically like this isn't true, but I don't want to talk about it because it's painful, and I don't know why this is happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like I just worry for him. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to make of that. You know, mm-hmm. it both seems like something somebody would say to cover your ass. It also says, maybe sounds like something that somebody would say when they are actually, you know, when they are just kind of like, yeah, I don't, I love this guy. I don't know why he's doing it, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: But. Yeah. The point is, we will know. Yeah. And, uh, man, was just explosive. Oof, in in God, sports writing so world. Disgusting. Yeah, in sports writing world, this is like. <sighs>
1: Yeah, hopefully that leads to some self-examination too, from you know writers who take this sort of story and are just like, yeah, sure, this is the, you know this yeah. could be true. I, I I imagine also that like adoptees and people who've been through the foster care system have feelings about yeah, this too, for sure. Because it's yeah. not just that sports part; it's this part about like it, the taking advantage of you know parents who who frame themselves as heroes and saviors.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's like the oldest story, right? Like, hey this wayward youth is, uh, Mm -hmm. saved by like the good graces of this, uh, you know, Karen white White person. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We have a scene like where he's like, sits at the kitchen table. It's like, what fork do I use? You know? And then the kid's like, Oh, you're so silly, you know? And they teach him how to, what fork to use? Which one's the salad fork? Like this ugh. shit is so fucking It's like an episode gross. of Atlanta or something. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's it's like, so ugh. gross. <laughs> oh my God.
0: I'm getting mad just thinking about it. I
1: kind of want to see the movie just to know how disgusting you it is. You should see it. It's
0: like, <laughs> it's uh, it's an interesting one for Sandra Bullock to have won her. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. I wish she had yeah. won it for Speed, you know, which was actually a good movie. Um, all right. Next up,
1: I know we're running long. Yeah, but North Korea. There were like a couple weird things out of Korea, town, Korea <laughs> recently. Um, did you hear last month about this guy who ran across the North
0: Korean? Yeah, border? yeah, 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 yeah. Travis yeah. King. Yep.
1: So I found this story really fascinating because you you have these sort of defections once in a while in the opposite way, but this one is tied up with a bunch of different things, like one race in the military, two like the way that the military judicial system deals with people who commit crimes when they're deployed abroad and three, I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy named Clarence Adams, but he's this famous African-American guy who during the Korean war was taken over by the North Koreans um, and basically ended up going to China. Oh
0: yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah.
1: And like, then did like radio broadcast during the Vietnam war being like Americans, black americans like why would you fight for america anyway he eventually came back to the united states but there is this sort of there's a little bit of a template of this sort of like african american guy who recognizes the injustices of american society and then obviously becomes a propaganda tool also for the the state that he goes to so i was just i think this this also comes at like a really interesting time because there was just this camp david summit with japan south korea and the us And all of this is sort of aimed at saying to China and North Korea, like, the three of us are united. We're going to destroy you if you mess with us. Um, And we're all, like, very squarely in this Cold War frame of being in the U.S. camp. Right, right. You know, and so um, I'm not really sure what to make of this. We also don't have a ton of information on, like, what exactly happened because the U.S. military has been pretty quiet about it. But as we understand it, he was in a Korean prison for two months before for assault. Before yeah. for assault. Um, the way that the, the overlapping like U.S. military judicial code works with like when you're in a foreign country is like the foreign country theoretically has jurisdiction over military crimes when they are just sort of -of run-of-the-mill crimes in the country. So something like assault or rape or murder should theoretically be dealt with by the Korean authorities as opposed to the U.S. military authorities, which I think we all know it can be very lax on their people. Um, And so, but he the story is not that he went over because he was so disgusted with South Korea and it was a horrible imprisonment, but rather I'm sick of the unjust society of the United States. (laughs) But we don't know if that's also just what the North Koreans are
0: saying. Yeah, yeah. I want to read some of the... um, Yeah. So this is what the DPRK has said, right? In its (laughs) first public acknowledgement that private and uh, second-class Travis King entered the North while on tour of a Korean border village on the 18th of July, the regime said the 23-year-old had voice quote, disillusionment with U.S. society. This is the quote. During the investigation, Travis King confessed that he had decided to come over to the DPRK as he harbored ill feeling against inhuman maltreatment and racial discrimination within the United States Army. He also expressed his willingness to seek refuge in the DPRK or a third country, saying that he was disillusioned at the unequal American society.
1: So interesting,
0: it is interesting, yeah, I mean, you know, um the, the even the details of how he got there was interesting, like he was oh released from prison, he was supposed to go straight to the airport to be shipped back to the United States, but then yeah. he went on a border he like somehow found his way into a tour of a border town. <laughs>
1: insane <laughs> and then I mean, ran
0: across the floor if
1: he's your prisoner that you're trying to get back home i mean what is going on <laughs> yeah here?
0: like it was basically they like left him at the airport gate it reads like and he was like okay <laughs> bye guys you know i'll I know. you know i'll text you sure, when i get, when I home. land and then he like left and then he walked out of the
1: airport <laughs> i know it is so bizarre <laughs>
0: yeah i mean look i don't know how to read any of this but i do agree with you that given the history of it it's super interesting that they chose this tact and i actually yes. am interested um I think I've told this story before, but my, uh, RA in college, he, uh, he also, um, also black man was, uh, went to North Korea uh, or went to Korea on a, um, to teach English and Mm -hmm. also on like sort of a religious mission. And then he also at some point went to China and snuck into North Korea and then, uh, and Jimmy Carter had to As go. As like
1: a Christian sort of? Yeah. He said he wanted uh-huh. to like
0: spread Christianity in North Korea.
1: Okay.
0: And, um, you know, they caught him and then Jimmy Carter had to go get him out. But they did not use this tactic like that he had come <laughs> over because of this. I think it's a specific <laughs> military thing when, you know, I that see. it happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. But
1: yeah. Yeah. So there's all these interesting things about is he a POW? The Koreas are technically at war, but also technically at peace. You know, this, and this is the 70th anniversary of the start of the, or the end of the hostilities this year. So anyway, there's, there's been a lot of, I went to a Korea peace thing in DC recently. There's just been a lot of talk about what does it mean that this war is still going on. And, um, this just is like another weird episode in what seems like this science fictional arrangement that we have.
0: What do you make us. of the Camp David stuff, right? Like, cause that yeah. was also interesting. It was basically, there was mm-hmm. a very funny quote. I, not funny, but um, there's a quote where, uh, this is in the times and it says, Beijing has often warned Tokyo and Seoul not to be drawn into the Taiwan issue, depicting Washington as a puppet master manipulating its allies in an editorial on Wednesday, the Global Times like in South Korea to a, quote, kindergarten child receiving a sticker from their teacher <laughs> 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 by agreeing to oh attend the God. summit at Camp David. That excitement, the editorial said, should be replaced with a, quote, sense of deep trepidation and caution, right? So that's yeah. pretty fighting words, right? Like It's oh.
1: really funny. There was another thing that was in the Chinese press that was directed at um, Kishida and Yoon saying, no matter how hard you try, you guys are never gonna be white. Right, right. So it's right. very like this old school like third worldist thing of like, you know, why are you in their camp? They should you should be in the Asian camp. And um yeah, I found so I found the Camp David Summit somewhat distressing. I think if we read through what the pronouncements are coming out of that, like, of course, like this kind of trilateral summit is not particularly unusual, but the language that they use against um, China and with regard and North Korea um, is like, I guess, somewhat like aggressive. And it also, I think from a Korean standpoint now, I'm like, am I going to be representing the Korean nationalists again on the show? But, you know, I think there's a little bit of a thing of, yeah, do you have your own foreign policy and your own? are you actually acting like a country that can make your own decisions or whenever the conservatives come into power in South Korea, is it automatically that you default to this position where you do whatever the U S and Japan say, Right. you know? Right. And so I think like, there's some truth to this like Beijing, um, you know, comment, uh, you know, making fun of the Koreans and the, and the Japanese about this. Like, you know, the, when you think about like the importance of China as a trading partner to Japan and South Korea, it's very strange that they would just, that they would do this sort of thing, always aligning themselves with the United States, falling into these really damning pronouncements against the Chinese. And I don't know what it means moving forward. I mean, I, it's obviously very distressing for the North Koreans and the Chinese.
0: Right. And I also just like, well, yeah, I think if, it also just gives confirmation, like you said, what the yeah. Union administration is going to do, which is nothing different. Right. And um, yeah. and uh, I don't know. It's like these things are so hard for me to follow just cause it's all like, well, they did a military exercise here and it was responded yeah. to, it's like this sort of, almost, you know, it's just like a theater of escalation, de-escalation and whatever. Right. But it does seem like what we can take away from it is that, right. The sides of a cold war have just been further cemented. Not that we would have expected anything else, but that, um, Yeah, it's probably going to be a little more frigid between China and Korea going forward from here on out.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: And I don't sometimes I don't quite see why that was necessary for Korea to do, you know. Like,
1: I think it's not. Yeah, I think like you're why right. why don't you and just think,
0: chill out and say, well, I don't know. Exactly. That's between y'all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and this kind of, I mean, this is like a military, this is a further cementing of the military alliance, too, right. and the aggressiveness of the military strategy and what they're calling now the Indo-Pacific. So that is like something I think everyone should be alarmed about and... The amount of spending and the amount, the way that we are looking at Asia is just like this theater of like war and deterrence is like really astonishing in a time when we need a lot of more co- cooperation. So I don't want to sound totally naive about it, but I, you know, I think it's, I think we should see this as more than just like a diplomatic thing.
0: I wonder what's going to happen. What do you, I, I'm really fascinated about what's going to happen to this Cap Travis King f- character. You oh know? my gosh. I think it would be very interesting if there, if he became like a recruiter of of sorts, you know, uh, to try and bring people, I mean, this happened, this happened in Russia too, right? Like there are people who moved, there are black people who moved to Russia, you know, um, and I mean,
1: in this case, he's the worst kind of spokesmodel for them, though, because he was convicted of a crime in doing time, basically, at the time that he fled. So yeah. he's not this kind of like pure ideological representative. But we'll see what but he they, could also, he's transformed also He could also
0: say in a way that I would actually quite, be, maybe perhaps believe, or I think I might even, you know, like if he has a, if he was talking about how in Korea as a, as a black man, he, as was, a black, right. he was brought up on these trumped up bullshit assault charges. Mm hmm. Does that seem impossible to you?
1: No. Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, and certainly soldiers who are black and brown are treated differently than soldiers who are white. Course. Like, we know yeah. all of this, yeah. both by the U.S. military itself and in the host country, right? Right, right, right. Um, nevertheless, the optics are not great in this situation. It's true. It's we, true. We shall see. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry,
0: but I just, like, get, have... No, but I I just can't get over the comedy of this guy going on a tour. You know, he was basically in a tour group.
1: <laughs> yeah, he was like us, like just taking a day on Panmunzom.
0: Except he's not just like and then he's because just he's, like, he's runs black over. in Korea, you well, know? know. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like but he was just extremely visible minority trip. and he's on this he's this on this trip. tour by himself and he's just pulled across the border. Oh my, gosh. Oh my border. gosh. I didn't even know you could do that. Like I didn't know, I know. that you, there were places where you could just run across the border. Did you?
1: I mean, he's lucky he didn't get killed
0: right 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 right, because he
1: went through that sliver that's open and they must have just because he was in civilian clothes like essentially given him a break
0: yeah he must have he must i wonder if he had a plan you know maybe this was the plan right but maybe um,
1: maybe this is all a grand spectacle it'll be the subject of your next book yeah (laughs) i'm quite curious
0: about it all right well look very good you're right that is a good movie you know I always think, thought
1: the Clarence Thomas movie should be life should be made into a movie. It
0: probably um, will be.
1: He married this Chinese woman. They came back to Memphis where he had grown up, and they opened a, cha- a, a string of Chinese restaurants.
0: Clarence Thomas.
1: Clarence Adams. The oh, guy Clarence went Adams. Over. I was oh, like, sorry, you said Clarence, I Thomas. Clarence Thomas. I was like, Clarence Oops, Thomas sorry. did not. Marry That's him. really bad. Um, yeah, Clarence Adams. This. Oh, he guy. came. Back I read. To- I read his autobiography. It's fascinating. Oh,
0: really? Yeah. That would be a good yeah. movie too. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, both these are good movies. So you anyway. I mean, it could be crash landing into you too, but like it would just be very, <laughs> very, very different. I love.
1: Gets really weird. I love that show.
0: That's a great that show. That was a pretty good show. Um. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the show. I think we did a good job on the lightning round today. Yeah. Yeah. It was really um. Fun. Our producer. Thanks to our producer, May Shots. As always, if you'd like to support the show, it's five dollars a month at goodbye.substack.com or patreon.com/ttsg pod uh if you'd like to email us it's a time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com you can reach out i don't know do we really yeah you can reach out to us on twitter <laughs> as well i'm kind of, i'm almost out on twitter tammy i think it'll change once the nba season starts but i just like it's like i'm like i just on x i just feel like i don't have anything to say anymore you know i think that i reach an age where i just like i don't who cares about my opinion on this which was not a problem i had before i should say (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah um all right well until next week uh yeah see you later see ya